Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. I'm Jordi. And today, fellow contributor Sally and I will be talking about our favorite romance reads of this year. This is not necessarily books that were released in 2022, just generally whatever we read and gravitated toward the ones that were at the top of our list. So Sally, let's just start with what do you love about romance books or the genre as a whole? I love a happily ever after. I'm just a sucker for a happy ending, a predictable structure. Like, I just love the tropes of it all. It's a great source of comfort to me. What about you? I completely agree. I love knowing that I'm going to go into this book and odds are I'm going to laugh at some point, fall in love a little bit, be happy. I had no idea that the romance genre existed. So I would gravitate toward books that mentioned, you know, some sort of romance or connection. And then in college, when I was finally exposed to this genre, I was like, where have I been my whole life? And now I can just solely read these and then whatever else comes along the way. So that's what I love about them. (laughs) All right. So what were some of your favorites of the year? Okay. I'm going to briefly mention that on top of my list are the three that I mentioned in the best new releases so far episode from August. So I'm just going to briefly say you made a fool of death with your beauty. Delilah Green doesn't care. The romantic agenda. Those have stayed at the top, but I don't need to discuss them here. You can listen to this (laughs) episode. But since then, I've also read Partners in Crime by Alicia Rye, her new release this year. And I was obsessed. It's heisty vibes, but also romance, (laughs) which was fun. That's always an awesome combination. Yeah. And yeah, it's just such a good time. Like, I love a rom. Give it to me. And I'll also plug A Lady for a Duke by Alexis Hall. I was surprised by how much I loved that book. I'm not like really a historical girly. But that really did it for me. Yeah, I recently got into historical romances. And the ones that have recently come out, there's just something about them that I just can't stop reading them. I had a conversation with one of the authors and I was saying, I don't understand how you can make something back then seem so present today. Mm -hmm. And one of her answers was, you know, like some of the feminist movements back then we're still seeing today and still fighting for the same things. And so it's a lot more relevant than we think. Pressing but salient point. (laughs) What are a couple of your faves? As I was getting ready for this, I was making a list and I just couldn't stop making the list. So I'm going to try to knock these out for some of my favorites that came out this year. Love in the Time of Serial Killers by Alicia Thompson and Drunk on Love by Jasmine Gilroy obsessed and then one that I just can't stop thinking about was Take a Hint Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert I never laughed so hard in a book and it just had everything that you would ever want in a romance book there I agree I didn't read that this year or that would have been on my list like those three books have my whole heart I love them so much they're great Mm -hmm. do you have a favorite of the three no (laughs) I instantly was like oh it's definitely Danny wait no but it's I like I can't (laughs) pick one I feel like I would need to reread all three of them in a row again to like actually decide. Maybe that'll be my holiday. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. I also this year got into 
I call them witchy romances, but Halloween vibes and whatnot. And Payback's a witch. Obsessed. It's so fun. It is because there's these group of witches who band together to go up against this guy who's just a straight up douchebag. And a romance blossoms from that. And it's just amazing. That's the other thing that I love about romance is like, you can really get some like nice, lighthearted vibes in these very challenging times. It's nice to be like, yeah, let's just read about witches Imagine. coming together and yeah. falling in love. And I'm always like, oh, man, I wish I could do some of these things. I wish I lived in a world where this happened, you know? Yeah, tons of fun. And I also started reading more YA romances. I missed out on that in my younger years. And so reading some of them, I just feel so warm. Okay. One of my favorites this year was the Heartstopper series. I've been buying them like as they come out. So I've owned them for a while. They were just sitting there. <laughs> and finally, once the show was coming out, I was like, I guess I should read these. And I fell in love. It's such a blast. Yeah, I need to read those. I think my favorite YA of this year was Tweet Cute, just oh. because it was set in Manhattan and everything about it was just very cute. Like I've said before, I just can't get enough of the cuteness. I think that Hard Supper is the only YA that made it to my list. In general, my YA romance has dipped this year, but I'm glad you're discovering it because it really is a joy. It is. Something that might be interesting to talk about, were there any flops for you this year? Yeah. So before we started recording, I was acknowledging that it's very hard for me to give a romance less than three stars. So my three star romances are my like, this didn't really work for me, but it didn't offend me or anything. But yeah, one of my flops this year was Real Men Knit by Quana Jackson. I just didn't, I don't know, nothing about that book was really working for me. Like I had a good enough time. I run a romance book club and this was one of our picks this year and it just didn't, I don't think that any of us loved it. Everybody was just like, that was fine. So yeah, again, nothing offensive in it. There's nothing like wrong with it, but it just didn't really work for me. Yeah, I have two. One's a little bit harder to explain. Have you read the series A Touch of Darkness? No, I have not. I've seen them around. Yes, I love the covers, but this is a Hades Persephone retelling. Mm -hmm. And me and my sister this week, we've gone through two of the books in the series. And I think there's only three. And I couldn't really pinpoint what it is about it. It's like I can't stop reading it because I just need to know what happens. But at the same time, there's nothing substantial, but I'm still loving it. I would say the one that did flop for me was The Love Hypothesis. And I feel like that's not a common opinion but from the beginning a slight spoiler when the main character kisses her professor just out of nowhere and then they get into this weird relationship like red flag number one and two for me and then they just started joking about <laughs> sexual harassment assault and title nine throughout the whole book i'm like the writing was great but it just wasn't doing it for me yeah, I tried to get into it. I couldn't get into it. I never went back. But <laughs> shouldn't do it. Yeah. The only reason why I read it was because my sister had read it and she said, this is so bad. You have to read it so that you can tell me if like I'm just out of my mind or if this is actually happening. You know, sometimes you got to read those, you know. <laughs> yeah. But on a whole, I haven't read any holiday books this year. And it's like my favorite cozy read to do. And it's right at the end of the year. So it's perfect. 
I recently started Season of Love and I am really enjoying it. I'm like about a quarter of the way through it, but I'm having a good time with it. I don't love the holidays. <laughs> so I don't know that I'm a big holiday romance person. I try to be, but I'm having a good time with it. I think maybe because like they're Jewish. <laughs> At, yeah. Like they run a Christmas farm, but they're Jewish. So maybe in my mind, it's not the same. So to round this out, we're nearing the end of the year. Are there any romance books that you would like to read before January? I am thrilled that Astrid Parker Doesn't Fail is coming out this year. The second book in the Delilah Green Doesn't Care series. I can't wait to read it. I don't often read books right when they come out, but I feel like I'm, that's going to be like a release day. Let me sit down oh, and read exciting. this. For me, the latest in the Bromance Book Club, the newest book came out, A Very Merry Bromance, and I'm excited to get into that one. Yeah, same. I love that series. It's so sweet. Get started. It is. And I love the concept, too. Hey. All right. Well, I, I hope love we romance. shared. Yeah. Romance is great. I hope we shared some books that you guys can go pick up, dive into, and enjoy a happily ever after in the book world. Do you love food and feminism? Then you will love decorating your home and filling your wardrobe with merch from Overseasoned. This colorful culinary brand features clever and bold artwork with cheeky slogans like Shuck the Patriarchy and Cabernet and Equal Pay. Shop t-shirts, aprons, kitchen towels, baby clothes, and more with these fun and empowering designs. Top sellers include Smashing My Food and the Patriarchy Baby Bib, Root for Women, Cozy Crew Neck, and the Culinary Goddess Apron. And if you're particularly fired up about the Supreme Court decision, and who isn't, the Ice Cream for Reproductive Justice design is going to be just what you want to rock on a t-shirt or tote bag. These pieces have become cult favorites in the food world with star TV chefs, home cooks, bakers, and foodies alike swearing by overseason merchandise. Nearly every product in the shop supports a nonprofit that's dedicated to bettering the lives of women, particularly those in marginalized communities. Not to mention that these pieces are highly functional as well as incredibly soft. And since Overseasoned outfits infants to adults, it makes a great gift for anyone in your life and adds conversation-starting flair to any ensemble. Go to overseasoned.com shop and use code FEMINIST to get 10% off of your order with Overseasoned. Hi, my name is Ashley, a Feminist Book Club content contributor, and I am joined today with Charlene Harris. She has written four novels and two standalone novels series. Her Sookie Stackhouse series was the basis for the series True Blood. Her house is full of rescue dogs, and she is joining us today to talk about her latest novel, A Serpent in Heaven. Charlene, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, Ashley. My first question for you is, what is your definition of feminism? Okay, just lead with something really hard. Feminism is the belief that women should have parity with men in all fields, from the royalties they receive for their books to the number of reviews they get for those books, that's why Sisters in Crime exists, to assure us that we are getting treated fairly, to having the right to control our own bodies, to have the right to stay home with a child if we bear it for a reasonable length of time like the rest of the world does, to getting equal pay for equal work and equal promotion chance with all your fellow co-workers. Wonderful. And the next question is, what is The Serpent in Heaven about? The Serpent in Heaven 
deviates a little bit from the rest of the books in the series because The Serpent in Heaven is about Gunny Rose's half-sister Felicia and her experiences in San Diego where she's at the Rasputin School for Wizards, Grigori's. And who is a Grigori and what is their purpose in the story? Grigori's are people who practice magic like Grigori Rasputin, who, as you probably know, had a huge impact on the survival of the Tsar Tsar Nicholas II's son, Alexei. And the school is in San Francisco because in my fractured America, California has become the Holy Russian Empire, and that's where the Russian royal family lives. I have a quote in the story. If wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Be grateful for what you are given. What are your thoughts on gratitude, and how does this, how does gratitude serve a purpose in this story? Wow. That's a very old saying. I'm sure you've heard it before. My parents used to tell me that, and I never enjoyed hearing it very much. Why couldn't wishes be horses? That's what I want to know. Felicia is supposed to be grateful for having been taken in by the school and having a safe place, more or less a safe place to live, close to where food to eat and things to learn. And on one level, she is grateful because it's better than her former life. And it's the best her half-sister could think of to do for her. On the other level, for that situation, she pays with her, literally, her blood. And that makes her pretty conflicted as a character. And where does the title of the story come from? When Felicia went to the school, she thought it would be like heaven. And in some, to some extent, it is. Because everyone's there to learn, everyone's intelligent, she's not in any imminent danger. On the other hand, her full abilities are not appreciated by anyone in the school. That's not entirely their fault. She's been keeping them hidden. But it's time for her to emerge from her protective shell and become who she was really meant to be. Yes, she does go through a number of situations and you're just reading the book and it's well she just got from one thing and then she moves into the next and then she's talking about oh I gotta do homework or oh I have to go to class so just balancing these immense situations that she's dealing with but also the reality that she's still a student I think keeps the story on its toes thank you and how did you world build and character build? You said that the story is set in San Francisco or San Diego. San Diego. Yeah. And that's a city that many people are familiar with. How did you do the world building and the character building? This is my 42nd year as a published writer. So I've had a lot of time to practice. I was able to find a 1930s map of San Diego and study it and figure out where everything would be. And how people would get from here to there in those times. But also it's about America coming out of the Depression. And nothing is exactly the same as it would have been if the Depression, the Spanish flu, the Dust Bowl, the financial collapse hadn't all occurred. Not at the same time, obviously, but in a series of catastrophes, thus making America divide up. So that was a crucial part of the world building that it was America, but it's not the America we know. And I was curious because reading this story, 
San Diego is mostly known for being close to the Mexican border, but there's also the Russian elements that are crucial to the story. How did you blend the two together? In my books, I assume that Mexico has taken the southern part of Texas and a big slice off of that territory generally, and that Canada has come down and taken a slice off the northern part of America while they could. So it's a jumble of cultures, and the economy is obviously very different. I did have to do a lot of research into what people might normally have in their homes in the 1930s. Who would have an indoor shower? Who would have their own refrigerator? Who would have their own car? So I learned a lot doing the research for the book, and a lot that surprised me came up. And what surprised you? There were a lot of things about it that I found really interesting, from the clothes to the economy. It surprised me that many people did have their own car. Refrigerators were much more common than I had thought in the 1930s. Yes, it it amazes me. Like if I look up something like when was the the microwave created, it seems like such a newer invention, but it's been around for some time. So just having those details can be so crucial to a story. I agree. And so transitioning from the novel, of course, you wrote the Sookie Stack House series, which was based off of the prominent and profound show True Blood, which was on HBO. What are your thoughts about Sookie's place in storytelling and pop culture? I didn't realize she was going to have a place in storytelling and pop culture. I'm just real delighted when I hear that sometimes there are courses taught that include the Sookie books as part of their reading. I never knew I was going to have a profound effect on anybody. I really set out to chronicle her adventures and say some things about our society along the way. And I was just scared and delighted when people took me seriously. True Blood began at a time where we had the Twilight series. And of course, we've had fascination with vampires, but True Blood took it to such a different level because it was the Southern sort of Gothic culture. And there was some fantasy, but also a lot of realism, so much conversation about how we move in the world and particularly in America. So it was just a few different things and just also these wild adventures that really captivated people every week. Lucky me, because it certainly accelerated my book sales. Yes. And when you decided to conclude that series, what was that like for you? That really wasn't a very popular move with my publisher particularly, but I felt that I had told Sookie's story. And if I kept on going without having the juice in me to do it, I would just be replicating myself. I don't like to do that. I like to write what I have a passion for. And when that passion ebbs, I need to quit writing that and move on to something else. So I miss Sookie sometimes. Of course, I don't earn as much now. But I also know I did the right thing. And now you've moved on to this phenomenal standalone series of books as you have with The Serpent in Heaven. Yeah. And so as we conclude our conversation, what bookstore would you like our authors to buy this novel from? Or what is a favorite bookstore of yours? 
if you want a signed copy, you can order it from Poison Pen in Scottsdale or from Larry Smith Booksellers, which is an online bookseller, or Octavia Books in New Orleans and uh, Arts and Letters in Granbury, Texas. They will all have signed copies. It would be great if you would order from an indie bookstore. But honestly, I'm always honored when somebody buys my book. Absolutely. And you gave us some great choices. I hadn't heard of Poison Pen before, so now I'm going to look up that bookstore. It's a wonderful store. Go if you can, if ever you're in Scottsdale. Well, Charlene Harris, thank you for joining us today to talk about The Serpent in Heaven. Thank you for inviting me, Ashley. I've enjoyed it. Are you searching for bookish gifts this holiday season? At Flypaper Products, we are a team of passionate book lovers who are committed to providing you with useful and unique literary and grammar gifts for the writer and reader in your life. Browse our online shop to find everything from bookmarks, barware, uniquely scented book-inspired soy candles, witty grammar pencil sets, high-quality herbal and black tea with clever literary titles, ceramic mugs to tote bags, and more. Each and every one of our products are proudly designed in beautiful Ann Arbor, Michigan by book lovers and for book lovers. Let us help with your gift giving this holiday season and select one of our many curated box gift sets that are in stock and ready to ship or customize your own box. Our bookish gifts can be shipped to you or directly to the lucky recipient and make the perfect holiday gifts. We offer same-day order processing, and shipping is always free for orders over $48. We are also happy to include a personalized gift note to complete the gift. Whether you're searching for the perfect present for the bibliophile in your life or looking to add to your own collection, our literary and grammar gifts for book lovers will put a smile on anyone's face. Use promo code HEROIN to get 25% off your first order and visit the website flypaperproducts.com today. That's code HEROIN to get 25% off, H-E-R-O-I-N-E, at the website flypaperproducts.com. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature.